Well, good morning, Oakwood, and welcome to part one of a new series we're starting today called Dangerous Prayers. Dangerous Prayers. Is anyone scared? Okay, that's good. That's good. Okay, it's a God thing. So, yeah, we're going to be talking about dangerous prayers, and uh, my prayer is that through this series, it will challenge you to a deeper walk with Christ. It'll challenge you to a, a deeper faith in Christ, and then also challenge you not to be uh, these anemic people that, that pray these safe prayers all the time. And we're going to be talking about what that looks like in a minute. You know, here at Oakwood Christian Church, I believe that this has been a place where they have prayed some monstrous, very dangerous prayers over the years. Let me, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. This church was established in 1978. Okay, I, was, I would have been three years old that year. And there were some amazing things that happened. If you ever, uh, if you stay around here long enough, you're going to hear the stories of the early church. It's like we read in the Bible, in the book of Acts, we're also going to hear some of the early church stories from right here at Oakland. And it's just amazing to hear uh, what God did through those times and through those people. When they originally uh, decided to build and, and start a church over here, it was some faith-filled, uh, bet-the-farm, risk-taking Christians from over at Davis Park Christian Church that said, hey, we need a church on the west side of Enid because Enid is growing west, and so we need to build a church over there. And so they sacrificed their finances. I mean, crazy. Sacrificed their finances. Sent, sent some of their, their best people and, and some of their leaders from their elders and from their deacons over here to start this. And there are just amazing things that happened. One of the little things I was thinking about this morning was that they, were, they were actually bought a piece of land over here. It was on Randolph and it was down just across the, the bridge down the street here, but it was only three acres. And somebody had the vision that that isn't going to be, be big enough. We need more land. We need more than three acres. Now, there's a church that sits there, Graceway Baptist sits there today, and that was the original land that was bought for Oakwood Christian Church, but someone, someone had a bigger vision than that. Some, someone had, had prayed, God, you know, your will be done. And so they had felt led to, well, there's more acres available over here. And so our campus here is actually like 10 acres. And you know just from our facilities that we have here that that wouldn't fit on that little three-acre plot and have enough room for parking. I mean, the, the, you know, our parking lot is probably more square footage than our buildings, right? We've got to have a place to park all these vehicles. And so it, it, it is amazing that through the years, like what has happened at Oakwood, I, I was thinking of other things. Uh, we had just talked about this a couple of years ago at the 40th anniversary of Oakwood, but how many people were, had launched into ministry through this church? And I, I could come up with 27. But there's 27 full-time ministry people that uh, came through Oakwood Christian Church. There's probably more than that. Those are just the ones that I remember, and I, and I haven't been here the whole time. But it's just amazing that when I think about uh, the people that, you know, sacrificed for, for so much here, you know, uh, um, our big room and our children's wing. That was the original sanctuary here at Oakwood. On the first day the church met, they outgrew the sanctuary. They started immediately going into a fundraising campaign to build the one that we're in here today to build this sanctuary. It was completed in 1983, just some five years uh, later. And, and it's amazing if you think about the sacrifices that were made. And I think a lot of this had to do with this boldness that people had that I want what God wants in my life. I, I, I want to see God do some amazing things. And, and, and through that, they, they prayed these prayers that I think maybe resembled the disciples and the apostles and even the early church in the book of Acts. These prayers that were a little bit dangerous because it took us out of our comfort zone and into some place where we had to depend on God even more. Because if we're honest this morning, 
We don't pray those prayers. When you go to lunch after church today, you're probably not going to pray a dangerous prayer. You're going to pray the normal, safe, Christian, Bible Belt prayer. Lord, please bless me and protect me and be with all the sick people and bless this food. Amen. And that's what the prayers look like. And for some of us, if we're really honest, that's what all of our prayers look like. And we might pray before we go to bed, before we put our head on the, the pillow at night, or maybe while the head is on the pillow, and we we're like, hey, Lord, thank you for this great day, and thank you for all the blessings you've given me, and just pray for a great day tomorrow, more blessings, and, and just pray you'd protect me and be with all the sick people. Amen. And it just seems like that's, you know, that's a safe prayer. Now, safe prayers are good and sometimes very appropriate. We should be praying for sick people. Absolutely, Bible says to do that. We, we, we should be praying for, for blessings from the Lord. Maybe not in the way we desire the blessings from the Lord, but yeah, that's not a, those aren't bad things, but I think they're really safe things. And I wonder what would happen if the church today would pray like the Bible says to pray. Like if we would actually start praying some prayers that might take a little more faith Maybe start praying some dangerous prayers. Because dangerous prayers are different. Dangerous prayers put a lot more on God and a lot less on ourselves. Dangerous prayers actually pray for things that God desires and that God wants. And not just the things that we want and that we desire. Dangerous prayers actually puts God back as large and in charge and the one who controls the future. Dangerous prayers are prayers that we might need to take some risks for the sake of the gospel. We're going to be talking about that over the next several weeks. And again, I just pray that you'd be challenged to maybe take a step forward in your faith and it's going to affect your prayer life. It's going to make it more substantial. It's going to affect it in an amazing way. And because of that, because of God's people praying these biblical prayers and praying them uh, the way that Jesus wanted us to, the way that God instructs us to, that we'd be able to grow spiritually and mature in Christ. And through that, there'd be many more in the kingdom of God because that's Jesus's desired end result. That more people would be saved because of what we do while we're here on earth. That we would fill heaven with souls because that is our mission work as Christians. We're going to be looking at a couple of passages. We're going to begin this morning with Matthew chapter 6. So if you want to go ahead and turn there. And as every week, just want to remind you, you're welcome to follow along in your Bible if you like a paper Bible like me. If you want to follow along in the Oakwood app, you just go to Sermon Notes. All the scriptures are there for you, as well as all the bullet points. And there's places in the app for you to take your own notes, and you can save those and reference those later. So I invite you to just somehow connect with the message today by looking at the Bible, looking at the app, um, get into the Word of God this morning. Because, like I said, you know, we have this tendency to, to pray the safe prayers. We pray for what we want, pray for what we desire. A lot of times, I mean, we may not say this, but what we're praying is, God, give me an easy life with no problems or issues. Uh, God, just take care of me. Um, you know, we, we don't pray for our friend. We don't pray for someone else that might be struggling often enough. Maybe we do sometimes when it's really bad for them, but not all the time. And, and, and we, we have this tendency to pray kind of selfish, safe prayers. You know, Lord, uh, I want you to bless me. I want you to, to help me make better grades at, at, at school. Um, oh, how about this prayer? Uh, Lord, give us traveling mercies, right? Uh, give us safety of travel as we go on this trip. 
Uh, God, uh, I, I, I pray that you would just uh, take care of my family, and I pray for a supernatural provision for this. And um, God bless this food to the nourishment of our body, that we could be better servants of you and, and know you. And, and, and if you think about it, we can really boil it down to a couple of areas of prayer that seem to be strong in our prayers. And that would be like prayers for protection, provision, and for sick people. Like those are the main things that we pray for. And, and, and what I wonder is, is that what God's prayer list would look for? Because I do think those things would be included because they're included in Scripture. But I wonder if there's something beyond that. Like would God be more concerned and, and want more time spent in prayer for lost people? For people that, that, that haven't called upon the Lord's name? Well, would He be more concerned about love and, and generosity? Would He be more concerned about not necessarily just receiving a blessing, but receiving a mission and a challenge to go out into the world and to serve. You think about all these things, and it kind of makes you uncomfortable. And that's because I think these are things that we pray for, and it changes us. It's kind of a dangerous thing. Because what you'll find yourself doing is praying more for what He wants than what you want if you're doing it right. Let me just say this this morning. Dangerous prayers take the focus off of just me and my life and put it onto God and His desires. When we pray dangerous prayers, it takes the focus off of just me and my life and it puts it onto God and what He desires. Let's look at this in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9. And just a little bit of background here into Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, is this is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount. And so Jesus is teaching his follow, followers, and he starts out with saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He's been teaching, he's been telling us that we are the light of the world, and a city on a hill will not be hidden. And he challenges us, and he's talking about love for your enemies, and he, he's going to talk uh, just a few verses later about how to confront someone who has sinned against you. He's going to talk about fasting, all these different things. And in the middle of this sermon, he talks about prayer. Because it comes to this part where we need to know how to pray, and who knows how to pray better than the Son of God, right? And so he gives us this in Matthew chapter 6, beginning with verse 9, and listen to what Jesus says, okay? These are in the red letters. This is Jesus talking to some of his followers, talking to his disciples, his closest friends and followers, and he says this, this then is how you should pray, okay? So church, if you want the answer, here we go. This is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Okay, how be your name? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I skipped verse 11 there. Give us, to, yeah, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And you read that prayer and you say, oh good, now I want to just focus on verses 9 and 10 today, the very first part of this prayer, because there's a huge takeaway here. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's almost like what the Son of God is saying here is God wants to establish a heavenly kingdom here on earth. It's almost like we as Christians are to be a reflection of heaven to earth. We're, we're supposed to bring some of the attributes of heaven to earth. Some of the things that, that heaven has, holiness and righteousness and peace 
and love everlasting. And those things, if you think about, oh yeah, I desire those things for my life here on earth. Then if we do, it's time to start praying like Jesus asked us to. Because most of your safe prayers probably say, my will be done on earth as it is on earth. <laughs> because sometimes we pray for what we want. And we don't ever think about, what does God desire in this situation? What does God desire in this circumstance? When Jesus says we're to pray, hey, your will be done, Heavenly Father. Your will be done on earth just as it is in heaven. And Jesus is challenging his followers and some of his closest followers, his friends, his, his disciples, to pray this prayer. Because he knew if we would bring heaven to earth, then there would be unconditional love. There would be actually true peace in the world. There wouldn't be wars and rumors of wars. There wouldn't be, I mean, even within our own government, I just feel like we're at each other all the time about every little thing. It's, it's an unprecedented time of disunity everywhere. Not in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Where there's no hurt, no hunger, no pain. No one is alone. In heaven, families don't fracture. And grace and generosity and forgiveness are the norm. And God the Father is close in heaven because you're in His presence. Thy will be done. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But I think this dangerous prayer of your will be done is challenging. I think it's challenging because of several things. The first thing, I think it's challenging because it means deciding what is most important is God's will and not your will. Deciding that, that God's will is more important than your will. I mean, who do you really want calling the shots and making decisions for your life? Who do you really want to do that? Uh, let me give you a couple examples. If you were about to uh, go into surgery, okay, and you're going to have some major complicated uh, surgery inside your body. Do you want someone like yourself to be doing that surgery that has no experience, you've never studied, never been to medical school, maybe you're not good at cutting with a scalpel? I mean, you're, you know, I mean, that's who you want doing your surgery, right? No, you would say, no, I want an expert. In fact, some people don't go to another city, another state, some people in another country to find what? To find the expert, the very, very best. The one that's been through medical school and has all this knowledge and all this experience that, that has been through outcomes and knows, knows what that this medicine does this to this organ. And, and that's what you want. You want something like that. You want an expert. If you were to go fly on a plane today and you were to board the plane and I'm standing there in the cockpit and say, welcome aboard. I hope you have a wonderful flight today. Run. <laughs> Run. Okay. Now, my dad was a pilot. I know a few things, and I landed a sim one time at, out of advance. Very proud of that. But seriously, I don't know all the instrumentation today with GPS and all digital panels. No, I, I, no, run, okay, run. Because why? You would want a pilot that has experience flying, that has studied and knows what every gauge looks like, that knows how to control a plane and knows if they lose an engine, how to land it safely, that, that just knows all the rules of the FAA, that you want someone who is knowledgeable. You want someone who can be in control more than you. And yet, this is a challenging prayer to pray, your will be done, because it means deciding that God's will is more important than yours, that 
you are not making the decisions that God is. That you will allow his will to be permanent and eminent and first and most in your life. And you, you will not make it one of these, these things where you are trying to control the outcomes. You want a good surgeon and you want a good pilot. And God says, you know what? I know the outcomes. I know the future. I know the beginning. In fact, I know everything. How about let me and my will be prominent in your life and not yours? means deciding the most important thing is God's will and not your own. I think the dangerous prayer of your will be done is challenging also because it means surrendering to God's plan, not your plan. Because we try to plan ahead, right? We try to try to know the outcomes and, and yet God has this plan and sometimes it, it's not our plan, it's not our way. Amy and I, uh, when we had planned our life, it, it took us in some places that, that uh, we didn't expect I was in ministry in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma for one year. And one year to the day I started ministry fresh out of Bible college, I quit ministry. I left the ministry and came back to Enid. Started working, uh, um, installing the first cable modems in Enid. I installed some of the very first ones here. And got into IT. And I was just burned out. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize that in ministry you've got to be a self-feeder. You don't get to come into services and sit in classes. You teach all of that now. You lead all of that, and you better be a self-feeder. You better be in the Word every day. You better be praying. You better have that personal relationship with God because you're not going to be spoon-fed it anymore. I had not learned that lesson. That was something I missed in Bible college, perhaps, and so I was out of ministry and maybe a little bit of running away from God. But I ended up in Fort Worth, Texas, working for Capital One Financial, the credit card company, and living the American dream. I mean, my salary down there as a contractor with Capital One was double what I was making in ministry. And I had benefits, and I had tiers, and I got to go to Tier 7 management training, uh, the Capital One Assimilation Program, McLean, Virginia. I got to fly out there like, feeling like a corporate guru. And, you know, I mean, this, this is the dream, right? I mean, I mean, Amy and I were talking like, we might buy a brand new, they just come out, this Nissan Xterra. We could buy that because we could afford it. It's kind of tempting. But God was doing some work in my heart, and I applied for a position at three different churches, and two of them called me back, and one of them was in Colorado. And I remember being on the plane and thinking, oh my goodness, this was not my plan. This is not Amy's with me. You know, this is not our plan, was to go back into ministry in Colorado with some of the granola folks. You know what I mean? And they're from California, a lot of them. The sun bleached their brain cells. I don't know. But, but, but we didn't, that was not our plan. You know, if we're going to do ministry, let's, let's do it in the Bible Belt. You know, we're not going to Colorado. And, and yet it was through that. I'll never forget, Amy, on the, on the trip back, we were discussing uh, whether we were going to go because before we left the interview, they'd already extended us an offer. And I looked over at Amy, and she, <laughs> I'll never forget what she said. She said, I know we're supposed to go, but I don't want to. <laughs> and I was with her through tears, 110%. Took a, took a 50% cut in pay and moved to Peonia, Colorado. And you say, well, hey, that didn't sound like a good plan, but it was God's plan. God's always taken care of us. Had a wonderful ministry and kind of a relaunch there. Um, then to Clinton, Oklahoma, and then to here at Oakwood and been here for 18 years now. And it, it just is it's amazing. It's like if you had planned life, you'd be like, well, it wasn't really that plan. It was, it was supposed to be this way. But again, dangerous prayers. When you pray, Lord, your will be done above my will, your will be done. It's a challenge to us because it means that we go with God's plan and not our own plan. And through that, it's a challenge too because it means trusting God more than you trust yourself. If you're being honest this morning, some of you trust yourself and your decisions more than God's. 
And you kind of get in a rut with that sometimes. You kind of get that. That's back to the safe prayers. Lord, uh, just bless me and protect me and be with the sick people. Amen. And that, that's all I'm going to pray. I won't pray your will be done because your will can be woo sometimes. I've read the scriptures. I mean, Abraham, really, Genesis chapter 12, right in the beginning of the Bible, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go into some strange land that I will show you. Really? But we read the story of Abraham. <laughs> God used him in mighty ways to further his will. Your will be done. It means trusting God more than you trust yourself. It also, it, it's a challenge because it means aligning your desires. This is probably like the deepest and hardest part is that you're actually going to align your desires. You are going to be praying, your will be done. And in doing that, you're going to be praying things like this. Lord, break my heart for what breaks yours. Lord, don't give me the desires of my heart because they're not always pure in motive. Lord, give me the desires of your heart, what you desire. Lord, give me things. I'm praying for things now like faith. Give me faith. Give me bigger faith to share my faith. Give me bigger faith to walk through these circumstances. Lord, give me hope. Give me love. Lord, give me peace, like true peace. And I want peace with all of those around me. Lord, give me brokenness. We now value brokenness. That doesn't sound good. Surrender. Holiness. It's a challenge because it means that our desires change. When we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yet, as you read Scripture and through the Gospels, and even into the early church of the book of Acts, you see that the apostles, they had been praying this prayer. I mean, Jesus gives it, gives it to them as an example here in Matthew chapter 6. And you've you got to think about this, that they were actually continuing to pray these prayers as they got into the book of Acts. And as all these miraculous things happened, in Acts chapter 2, uh, Jesus had promised them that the Holy Spirit would come in, and He came in a miraculous way. You read the beginning of Acts chapter 2. And then there was this crowd in Jerusalem that had gathered, and they had questions about Jesus. And you think, well, how did this happen? Well, you have to understand the time they were in. Jesus didn't die and, and raised, raised from the dead like five years ago. It wasn't five months ago. It wasn't three months ago. It was like five weeks ago. I mean, it was like 50 days like just, just about six weeks ago, Jesus had died and been crucified, and everyone saw it. And then there was this empty tomb, and he was gone. But it says in the Bible that 500 witnesses saw his resurrection, saw his resurrected body, saw him walking around. Dead man walking, right? He's alive. It's amazing. And you see all this. And so Peter gets up in Jerusalem and is going to address the crowd. He's full of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has now come on the apostles. And he is coming out and he's speaking. And he, and he preaches this sermon in Acts chapter 2. And it says that the people were stricken to the heart. And they said, what must we do to be saved? And, and Peter took it to him, man. He told him, this Jesus who you crucified with your sin, because of your sinful choices, this Jesus who you you crucify as both, as both Lord and King. And I said, well, well, man, we feel bad about this. We made the wrong choice in life. What, do we, what should we do? And they were stricken to the heart. And he says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins. And then you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then you get into uh, just a, a few verses later, and you think, wow, these apostles are bold. 
These apostles are praying, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in, as it is in heaven. I want to turn you to another passage now in Acts chapter 2. So if you're, if you're in Matthew 6, just go Luke, John, Acts. Okay, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Get to the book of Acts now, chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 41. Acts chapter 2, verse 41. And let's see what God does here to these apostles that are obviously praying, Lord, your will be done. And some awesome things are happening in God's church and amongst God's people. Verse 41, those who accepted his message, talking about Peter, talking to the crowd, those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. First day of the church, add 3,000 members. I was thinking, baptizing 3,000 people, that would take a while. We started right now baptizing all of you, probably nine or ten times to get to 3,000. We'd probably be here till tomorrow, right? But we, we picture it, you know, in our little baptistry over here. I mean, they were probably, you know, doing it in a sea or in a lake or, or in a pond, you know, somewhere in the area. And there was probably multiple baptisms happening at once. And all the apostles and the believers were in the water. And, and, and whole families were, were, uh, were being saved. And they were making that decision to, to be baptized and, and to follow Christ and to give their lives and to repent and turn away from their sins. And these awesome and amazing things were happening. 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now get to verse 42. They devoted themselves, so these new believers and the apostles, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, well, they were teaching about Jesus, the gospel, to fellowship, that's a word koinonia, we're going to talk about that in a little bit, to the breaking of bread, Okay? This is not only a, 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 a Christian fellowship meal, but when they broke bread in each other's homes with glad and sincere hearts, it says later, that they were also taking communion at that time together. They were taking the, the bread and the, and the juice, uh, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. And so, and so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and what's the last one? And to prayer. Think they were praying what Jesus told them to pray? Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be their name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And they're seeing it happen. They're seeing it happen. You've been around a church that prays long enough. <laughs> You've probably seen it happen too. You see some people get saved. And you thought, man, I ain't never getting saved. <laughs> You've been praying for those people your whole life, right? But it's amazing when heaven comes to earth and we start aligning ourselves and we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Look at verse 43. It says that everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They were taking care of each other's needs. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone that had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, and they broke bread in their homes and ate together. So they broke bread, they were taking Holy Communion, and they ate meals together with glad and sincere hearts. Now listen to this in verse 47. Praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. All the people in Jerusalem were like, this is wonderful. It's like a love fest. I mean, these people take care of each other. There's, there's true love here, uh, appreciation for brothers and sisters, and, and they're helping each other grow. And they're the most peaceful people. They're the people filled with hope. I mean, this is amazing, 
Amazing work that's going on. And they were praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And then what happens? And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Daily. Those who are being saved. Amazing things. What I want to do with the rest of our time is talk about when the apostles prayed the dangerous prayer, your will be done. And they started aligning their desires with God's desires. And, and, and you read the book of Acts and you just read chapter after chapter after chapter of amazing things. When the apostles prayed the dangerous prayer, your will be done. There's several things that happened. First thing, several things changed in life. First thing is it changed their relationship with God. It changed their relationship with God. Because think about it, guys. Before this, they were devoted to themselves and to their will. Many of them fishermen. I'm going to have a successful fishing business. I'm going to be concerning myself with fish. And Jesus comes along and says, follow me. And what does that mean? Uh, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Oh, okay. Well, he is miraculous and claims to be the Son of God. You know what? I'll give him a listen. I'll follow. And as they grew and as Jesus teach, you know, taught them to, to pray and taught them uh, to teach and and taught them about the kingdom of God, and you read all the Gospels, and you get in here to the book of Acts, you realize this changed their relationship with God because they were seeing transformation and life change and eternal destinations change right before their very eyes. And they said, we play some small role, some small part in this because we proclaim the Gospel, the good news about Jesus, until He comes again. And we're going to live in true faith. And it completely changed their relationship with God because they were daily experiencing the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. Because what does it say at the end of the passage? And daily there were numbers added to their church. Every day, daily this was happening. Adding those who were being saved. Amazing things were happening because they stepped out of faith. They said, you know what? Your will be done above my will. They could have, played, they could have prayed the safe prayers. Oh, Lord, bless my fishing business. Bless my boat. Keep it afloat. Lord, bless, bless my family and protect us. And as we get to go to Asia Minor on vacation next week, please bless, you know, I mean, come on. That's not what they're praying. They're praying for heaven to come to earth. Praying for the lost. I'm praying for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to give them the very words they need to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it changed their relationship with God. Absolutely changed it. Notice that they devoted themselves to other things. And what does it say in verse 42 of our text? It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And I wonder if we devoted ourselves to these things, would it change our relationship with God? Absolutely. Second thing, when the apostles prayed the dangerous prayer, your will be done, it changed their relationship with each other. That relationship they'd have with each other changed too. And we see that evidenced here in the passage. Go back to verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. That word fellowship there is a Greek word called koinonia. And what it means is deep fellowship. This isn't like, hi, how are you? Oh, hi, everything's fine. Ah, oh, fake smile. 
yeah, everything's fine. Like it's not so, no. This was like, hey, how are you doing? Man, I've been reading the Word this week, and I read this, and you know, man, I've really been struggling. I need prayer. I need to repent of sin. And you know what? You won't believe what I got myself into this week. I mean, these people are having deep conversations about their spiritual walk with God. And, and you know what? If it becomes the norm, it's not awkward. Anything that you do that becomes the norm is not awkward. We do things all the time as humans that become normal that you would think, wow, that's kind of awkward. Why would you do that? You know, in the Bible, when they made a deal and they struck a deal with someone, it, it says that they would grab their inner thigh. You know, so it's like if, if you made a deal on a car deal, you go up there and be like, hey, how are you? You know, it's like, that's weird. I mean, today, I don't know what would happen today. You know, just get beat on the back of your head. Do you, you know, don't touch me there. You know, but that became societal norm. Why? Because it meant something. Because they were doing something, right? And, and so these things that seem so abnormal and seem so awkward to us actually become normal when we do them. So what if you changed your prayer Instead of it always being about your will be done, how about, no, Father, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But it's a dangerous prayer. God's ways are not our ways, the Scripture says. He might lead you down a path you never thought you'd go. He might lead you to a ministry you never thought you'd do. He might lead you to a place you never thought you'd go. We are making the priority of our lives to say that your will is more than mine. When we do that, it changes our relationship with each other, and it gives us what it talks about here in Acts. Let's, let's read on here what else happened to them through this koinonia in verse 42. It says they, they had devoted themselves to teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many signs and wonders were performed by the apostles. Miracles were happening. As these guys prayed for God's will to be done, all the believers were together and had everything in common. There was sweet unity and peace in, in, in the church, and it was trickling out into the community. They sold property and possessions and gave to anyone who had need. If they had need, they, 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 would, just, they would just make sure everybody's needs were taken care of. And that was a testimony to the community. Their generosity made them look more like God. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. Like, they were so on fire, and, and their, their faith was so contagious, they couldn't imagine going a single day without meeting together. Koinonia, fellowship. It changes your relationship with each other. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. You see, when you pray the dangerous prayer, when the apostles prayed this dangerous prayer, your will be done, it changed their relationship with God. It changed their relationship with each other. And it also changed their relationship with the world change the relationship with the world. Because the world was now looking upon Christians with fondness. They were looking upon Christians saying, whatever you have, I want that too. I want to be a part of that family. I want to be a part of that tribe. I want to be a part of those types of people. And look what it says in verse 47 of our text. It says, they were praising God, enjoying favor of all the people. And because of this outpouring of God's Spirit, because of everything that was going on, it says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Favor of all the people. How? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I imagine the fellowship in heaven is pretty sweet. <laughs> 
get to be with the Heavenly Father. You get to be with Jesus Christ, the Son. You get to be close to other believers. You get to be close to spiritual beings that, you know, we read in the Scripture. It's like, man, they got ten wings and four horns and 90 eyeballs, and it's like, and they're praising God. It's like, you get to experience the supernatural and the wonderful love and grace of Jesus. And we get a glimpse of it here when we will actually yield our wills to God and say, God, I want to pray what Jesus told us to pray. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done. And so I was thinking about this at the end. It's funny because something jumped out at me. It's something we go over with new members and newcomers here to Oakwood. We always talk about the three C's of Oakwood. We go over that, Discover Oakwood, and Commitment 101. And if you're newer, newer in the last 10 years, I guess, you've probably been exposed to that. And we, we don't just do that because of some catchphrase or something. It's something that means something to us because we find that people that grow spiritually in the Lord, that have some depth to that relationship with the Lord, the ones that you would look around right now and say, oh man, I want to be like him because he's grown. I want to be like her because she's grown in the Lord. They do three things. We say celebrate, connect, contribute. We celebrate. That's talking about our relationship with God. We celebrate all the things he has done for us in our life. We we connect. We connect in fellowship, koinonia to one another, and we contribute. That we serve. We use the gifts, talents, testimony, tithe, all those things we talked about last couple weeks and other in the other services. We use all of those things for God's greater good and God's greater glory. And we contribute. We we give. We serve. And if you think about it, when the apostles pray that prayer and they yield their wills to God and they say, hey, your will be done, your plan above my plan, your will be done. It says that we can see through Scripture that it changed their relationship with God, it changed their relationship with each other, it changed their relationship with the world. Celebrate your relationship with God, connect with one another, with each other in fellowship, and contribute through service opportunities and affect the community in the world. And so not only is this something that accomplishes the purpose of God, which is the highest thing that we need to be focused on, is to accomplish and do what God has told us to do. But beyond that, it's spiritual growth for us personally. We benefit when we pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And guess what? When you start praying the prayer, your will be done, it doesn't have to be your way anymore, so you're not so bent out of shape. When you pray the prayer, hey, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and then the outcome is different than you expected, we get to rest in the sovereignty of God, that he's all-knowing, he knows the outcomes, he's in control of all things, and we find rest for our weary souls in that because we're giving control over to him. We're not praying, Lord, do what I want and my will and me and my. No, we're saying you and your and God accomplish your kingdom purposes. Your kingdom come to earth. Your will be done just as it is in heaven. But there's this yielding that takes place. And as I was talking about earlier, it's the changing of desires of our heart that we don't pursue the things of the world what matters to us changes when we yield our will to His. It's a dangerous prayer. But I found in my own life and I found in the life of this church in particular that when people, when God's people pray this dangerous prayer, Lord, your will be done. Amazing things happen. Because His will is amazing. 
more than you could ask or imagine. What he wants to accomplish is an amazing thing. So the challenge for us today, as you pray, as you go out, could you start to pray, Lord, your will be done. And see how that changes your life. See how that changes your heart. See how it changes your marriage and your relationships. It affects everything else because you begin with an acknowledgement that God is awesome and in control and His ways are higher and better and more important than mine. And so we pray, Lord, Your will be done. We're going to get to respond here in just a minute by taking communion this morning. So hopefully you got those emblems as you came in this morning. If you didn't, they're right outside the sanctuary doors full free to run back and grab that if you need to. If you're online with us right now and you have those elements available, please grab those at this time. I think one of the coolest things we get to do is to do what they did there in Acts chapter 2. We see it established in the early church. It says they broke bread together. This is part of your will be done, right? Jesus says to pray, Father in heaven, your will be done. And Jesus, before he left this world, when he was in the upper room of the disciples, he said, I want you to take this bread. Remember, this represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. I want you to take this cup. When you taste this, I want you to remember my blood, which is being poured out for you. And I want you to do this in remembrance of me. That's my will. That anytime you've taken this, you proclaim my death and my resurrection until I come again. And so we get to participate right now. And again, get to yield our will to his. And that through this moment where we take these emblems, may this be a time where we're also in prayer, praying, Lord, your will be done. Let's pray right now. Lord God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to share with you in this way, to take this communion together. Lord, our, our heart needs to be changed. Our mind needs to be changed. Lord, it is hard to even fathom for some of us to pray, Lord, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven, it's so lofty for us to even imagine it. And yet it's your desire, your son tells us to pray this way, to pray these words. So God, I pray that we can live this truth out. And Lord, right now in these next few minutes as we focus on the sacrifice of Jesus, we take these emblems that represents his sacrifice. Lord, I believe it is your will to keep this central and in a high place and high esteem with believers that we would remember what the kingdom of God is. We'd remember what our salvation cost, your very son's life. That through doing this, Lord, you would be glorified in us as we turn our wills over to you. And we pray and we live. God, your will be done. In these next few minutes, Lord, just continue to speak to our minds and our hearts as we take these emblems together. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm just going to give you a couple minutes here to just take these together. If you're online with us, please use this time to remember the sacrifice.